One of the things that I have tried to do in December is walk you through the first seven verses of Isaiah chapter 9 and help us see various aspects of Jesus, the one who was promised to come at Christmas. And in seeing the various aspects of Jesus, we would see uh, how, how he's the real reason Christmas shines so brightly. And that's been my goal from the first Sunday of December all the way to now, just trying to walk you through these verses and help us gain an even greater appreciation for and love for and to treasure Jesus even more deeply. And I'm, I trust that's happened in your heart throughout this Advent season. You have grown to love Jesus even more deeply. In fact, there may be some among us who have just come to know Christ in the last few days. And I pray that your heart will be stirred even more this morning as we bring some concluding remarks to our time in Isaiah 9 and that you'll just see Jesus and gaze upon him and adore him and treasure him in a beautiful way for his brightness and radiance, especially at this time of the year. As I've studied and, and prepared, as I've thought through our conversations and just even these verses, there has been a song that has kind of been on rewind in my mind about every few days. In fact, I've asked Siri to play it several times. Uh, Jill and I have sung it. We've, we've hummed it. I've hummed around my kids, and some of them have said, what in the world is that song? Uh, it's a song number 12. It's really kind of given me a chance to review one of the key verses in Isaiah 9 because it kind of goes over some of the things in this passage we're looking at, song number 12. In fact, not only have I been singing it for a few weeks and humming it, I got an email, or maybe it was a text, from a friend in our church, and he sent me the same, thought, the same song. Now, I was going to play part of it for you this morning, but I, after getting his text, I thought, you know what, I'll just show the video or part of it he sent me. So here's the song that's been kind of um, on a loop in my head. It really just kind of walks you through especially verse 6. Some of you may not have heard this. Some of you will. It may not be all of your styles, but it is a beautiful song. It's song number 12. Some of you are like, what is song 12? Well, I'm going to give you 45 seconds to see and hear song number 12. Here it is. song number 12. And it really just quotes for us verse 6 of Isaiah 9. You say, why is it called song 12? Okay, it's not really song 12. It's for unto us a child is born. It's part of the Hallelujah Chorus, but the Hallelujah Chorus, excuse me, it's part of the Messiah. The Hallelujah Chorus is song 45 in there. The Hallelujah Chorus is a 54 song oratorio written in the 1700s. It's a 279 year old song. That's been running in my head and looping and rewinding and replaying because it just quotes scripture so well. Now, that may not be your style, but I will tell you this. You would do yourself a spiritual favor 
If you would take the time, maybe you're on a drive somewhere, on a jog or working out, or maybe some just errands around the house and you've got some time, uh, play that. It's got some um, interesting songs. There's 54 of them, but I tell you, it is a compelling musical version of Scripture's meta narrative. It's powerful. And so I just want to encourage you, this is what we're doing. We're looking at these God names that Isaiah gives to Jesus Christ. The one who was promised to be born as a child, given as a son, the one on whose shoulder all of God's government and economy would singularly rest. Yes, this one has four God names. Can you say them with me? They are Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And we've been looking at at these uh, throughout the month, especially on Christmas Eve, we looked at the name and the identity marker of uh, Wonderful Counselor. I want to take some time this morning and look at the remaining three as we wrap up our series called The Light. And this prayer continues that we'll appreciate our Lord and Savior even more this morning. Isaiah 9, verse 6. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. You've been there all month, but I just want to make sure we're open our Bibles and we see this. Here's what Isaiah would write. He's a, again, he says that to us a, a, a child is born, to us a son is given, the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We saw on Christmas Eve that Wonderful Counselor really referred to his supernatural wisdom. If you weren't here, I would encourage you to go back. It's only about 17 minutes long that night. It's a miracle for me and a record, no doubt. But go back and listen to it. I think it'll help you just understand more about this first title. I want to walk you through the remaining three. I won't spend quite as long on all of them as I did Christmas Eve, but I want to make some solid application as we close. So he next says that this one who is to come, this child, this son, will be called Mighty God. Now, what I want you to notice is that this is the second of what I would call a God name. And I call them God names, not nicknames, because they... They show us the identity of the one who's to come, Christ the Messiah, and they ascribe to him names that are ascribed to Yahweh, or that's the Old Testament name for God. And so in doing so, when he ascribes a, a God name to the one who's to come, Jesus, he's saying the one who's to come is God. The second person of the Trinity, Christ in the flesh, is God among us. And here he uses the phrase mighty God or the name mighty God. It simply means a champion or God warrior or God hero. The same title is used of Yahweh in Isaiah 10, 21. Just jot that reference down. I'll read it for you. Here's what Isaiah 10, 21 says. A remnant will return the remnant of Jacob to the mighty God. He's referring there to Yahweh, but here in Isaiah 9, he's using that same title to refer to the coming one, Christ. And so he says very blatantly, the one who is to come, Christ, is God among us. Now notice this, that when he calls him mighty God, he's referring to the, to the way in which he will now execute these supernatural, wise plans and the way he will carry out the, the miraculous wisdom that he has. Do you recall the phrase wonderful counselor, that name? It means that he is um, miraculous and supernatural in wisdom. But how do those get carried out? They get carried out by his mighty power. And let's make no mistake, Jesus Christ did exhibit and display mighty power. 
He had control over wind. He showed power over waves. Do you recall often he would say to the wind, be still, and he'd say to the waves, calm down, and they did. He showed authority and power over sickness, not just internal sickness with the lady who had an issue in her blood, but he showed control over external ailments such as hearing and and, uh, lameness. He showed authority and power and control, mighty power over illness. He showed mighty power over things such as uh, needs, even when it came to food. You recall the little boy who had a lunch? And the disciples were like, we got one lunch. There's about 5,000 plus here, so good luck, Jesus. And he said, just bring the lunch to me. They brought him the lunch, and he just kept passing out. It's like this endless bag. Can you just imagine like a brown sack at your school? And everybody eats on me today and just keep passing out sandwiches, right? I mean, he showed power in those kind of situations too. Just endless supply of food met their needs. He showed power over demons. Uh, demoniacs in graveyards. Uh, he showed power over death. There were children who had, who had died or there were um, a friend of his named Lazarus and he would raise them from the dead. There's not a single situation that Jesus as the mighty God could not show power over. Which said to those who are watching, this isn't just another man. This is God among us. It's exactly what Isaiah prophesied. The one who's to come will be a mighty God. Now, I want to encourage you with this thought today. Yes, that same mighty God, he has power for your situations, illnesses. And we know that in our head, but can I just make a little more plain application to you? This mighty God has power to help you do even the mundane things that perhaps we forget to do and that we get complacent about doing. Let me mention one. Living with courage and... um, conviction in a time when perhaps the culture around us isn't. You see, the same mighty God who performed these in the New Testament, rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, and is living now, has given you his power through the Holy Spirit to live with courage and conviction in a time when much of the culture is doing the opposite. I talked about this last Sunday a little bit and how we sometimes give away authority to sub-authorities, and it's really just because of fear and maybe complacency. I mentioned this in my podcast, hope you heard it, because I'm, I'm calling our church to continuing to, to end 2020 with, with courage and conviction and compassion and not in fear and to enter 21 in the same fashion. Why? Because of a mighty God. That's who came at Christmas, and that's why he shines so brightly. In fact, can I narrow this down even more? I think you heard this in the podcast. I think one of the places that we tend to get complacent, we perhaps tend to just kind of go along to get along, is when we meet here on Sundays and we, we kind of assume, well, I'm not sure that they'll want someone to meet them who's new. I'm not sure that I should get too close because of the pandemic. Maybe I need to, you know, stay seven, eight more feet away. I'll just kind of hunker down, hibernate. And, you know, over time, you can almost have a collection of people who just really aren't, they're not being intentionally unfriendly, but it can appear to be like an unfriendly place. And if any people should be able, when they gather, to be friendly and have a heart of hospitality. It should be a people whose God is mighty. I'm not being presumptuous. I'm not being arrogant. I'm not saying that you'll have no issues. I'm just saying we can't eliminate risk, but we can sure mitigate it. So let's mitigate what we can. And then in the power of God, let's continue to move forward missionally. 
And that's what I've been calling us to in the last couple of weeks. I don't want our church to become less missional just because the culture is living in fear of so many different things. We must remain vigilant and on mission. And we can. Why? Because the one who came at Christmas is a mighty God. This matters, by the way, in more ways than you know. I mentioned to you last week, I think Jake was helping me, about one of our small groups who had um, uh, hosted a house on Frosty Circle. We talked about that, and they invited small groups in to carol and sing. Um, and sometimes even when it was raining, you know, folks would sign up. It's just mission, living missionally and, and just doing all we can to invest in, in, in God's mission. Do you know that one of the folks who drove through Frosty Circle was here at Christmas Eve? Trusted Christ as his Savior. So I just want to say to you, it, it's, a, it's, it's not like a minor thing or a what is scenario. These things actually happen. Your courage matters in a very real time and space way. You never know who's here. And so I want to encourage you not just to live missionally out there, but to live with hospitality in mind here. That's a, that's a missional style. If you see someone you don't know, like I mentioned on the podcast, don't say, well, they probably want me to get too close. Just go ahead and ask. It's okay to say, hey, can we talk a minute? Talk a minute. Um, extend hospitality. Extend friendship. Be a people of God with a heart for others. Do not let this pandemic or certain cultural requirements, and this, it's, it's right and, and it's good to take precautionary measures. None of us are against that. But those should not be preventive measures for hospitality, especially when we gather. So take the initiative. Be honest and authentic. And if you don't know their name, just ask, hey, I don't think I remember your name. It will only be a little bit of embarrassment for me about like three seconds. You'll, you'll live through it. Then you won't forget it next time. Um, look for folks you don't know and, and engage with them, speak with them. These are things that are hard, but watch this. This is what the power of God mobilizes and motivates us for. Selfless service to others. So I want to make sure that you understand this is not just an abstract theological concept about an identity for Jesus. It's also a real shoe leather way to say, wow, Jesus was the mighty God. I trust him. I believe him. He lives in me. So he's now empowering me for selfless missional service. By the way, that's how Jesus lived and why he was empowered by the spirit to give his life as a ransom for many. This is who came, the mighty God. Next, we see that he's called everlasting father. So let's connect the three words, can we? He's a wonderful counselor with supernatural wisdom. He now carries those out in the power and, uh, of mighty God. And he does it in a way that is, uh, shows his timeless care. This is what everlasting father speaks to, his timeless care. Now notice in this, in this name, the idea of everlasting or eternal. Only eternality is ever ascribed to God. And so now by calling the one who is to come, this son, this child, the one who is to be born, by calling him eternal, everlasting, Isaiah is saying, this is God among us, the second person of the Trinity. And he also says this, this eternal one, this everlasting one, he's a father. And that's a very caring, shepherd-like word. And so what you have here is a, is a title, an identity marker that shows us how Christ relates to his people or his subjects. 
as an everlasting father. So as he carries out his wise, supernatural, miraculous plans in incredible might, he does in a way that is caring and shepherd-like and timeless. He's always a caring, loving God. This really reminds me of John 10 when it says that the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You see, that's the idea of a caring kind of shepherd, of a father who, what did he say in the other gospel? He says that, ask what you want. He said, if, if, I'm not going to give you a, a snake or a stone. Just ask, and I'll give it to you. I mean, you, you get the sense of, here's this loving, caring father, this protective, sacrificial shepherd. And by the way, just kind of notch this in your, in your brain for a bit. When Isaiah calls him an everlasting father, in other words, one with timeless care and and eternal, you know, love and compassion. Don't forget that Christ was ordained to die for the sins of the world from before the foundation of the world. Now that speaks to a timeless sacrifice, doesn't it? So do you see how this kind of just all pieces together? God, in his wisdom, planned for Christ to be our Savior. And in his might, he sent him and now he shows his care for us by Christ dying for us and caring for us. And this has been planned from, since before the world began. Man, truly, Jesus shines so brightly. Just write this reference down, would you? 2 Samuel chapter 7, about verse 16, we have a reference there to the throne of David being established forever. It's, it's a moment in Israel's history in which David takes the throne, but it's used as a marker for God saying to Israel, that this throne will now last forever. He's kind of prophesying about Christ who's to come and to be the son of man and son of David. But if you go uh, two verses back, you'll find that within this same context, there are very shepherd-like and fatherly-like words used about verses 14 and 15, describing the one or the kingdom of God or this one who is to come. He'll shepherd his flock. He'll be a father. And so what God is doing is saying that when Christ comes, yes, he will be a mighty God, but he will exert his might in a way that will be caring and compassionate for his people. So we see that he's a wonderful counselor with supernatural wisdom. He is a mighty God with heavenly power. He's an everlasting father with timeless care. And then lastly, he's a prince of peace. And we could use a couple of phrases here. Restful rule, or you could say he comes with anointed rest. I think I'm good with either one. Now, all four of these titles, or I call them identity markers, or you could use the phrase God names, they show us how Christ or Jesus, the one who is to come, the one who did come at Christmas, is God. The first three are very blatant. This last one is probably a little veiled. So let me see if I can walk you through how the Prince of Peace really shows us uh, that he's God. When you hear the word prince, you begin to think, okay, this is one who's coming after uh, the king, so to speak, or you think of the word heir, and Jesus Christ is the heir. We are co-heirs with him, the New Testament says. Uh, and so what the, the, the word prince is designed to show us relationship. Now, I want to be really careful here because the Trinity is a difficult thing to walk in sometimes. We don't, walk into, we don't want to walk in the Trinity lightly. It's, it's a difficult doctrine to express. But what, what the author here is showing is a relationship between God the Father and God the Son and how God the Father hands over to God the Son authority and kingship. 
See, that's an error. That means they're connected, related. Now, they're one. It's one God in three persons. But here he's using language to show here's the prince of peace, the prince. He's the heir. He's related. He's connected. You know, Paul would sometimes talk of Christ as the only begotten of the Father. doesn't mean he was created. It doesn't mean he, was, he suddenly came into being. It just means he's related and connected in that way. But the idea of uh, when he says prince of peace shows us something else, that he is this heir who will take the throne and then usher in this this time of peace. And if you follow our train of thought from previous messages, there is an initial time of peace, and we would say this is spiritual peace, followed by an eventual time, an ultimate time, a consummated time of physical peace. And what we are currently experiencing is spiritual peace. Romans 5.1 says this, that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, that verse assumes some things. That without Jesus, we're at war with God. That's true. Without Jesus, we're, at, we're in conflict with God. You see, God is perfect and holy. We're not. So there's the conflict. We're sinners. God has never sinned. We're far from God because of our sin. So what, what can one do? You can't do anything on your own because your sin... We have sin, we're born in sin, we're depraved. So we have to find and know what is outside of ourselves that can rescue us. And his name is Jesus. He was God sent to rescue us as our Savior. And yet it was man able to identify with us. And so he bridges the gap between God and man. He is the Prince of Peace who brings peace first spiritually and I think secondly physically. Now notice this. When he talks here about a Prince of Peace... He is speaking of a time in the future in which there will be this unimaginable, actual physical rest and calm. And Jesus often referred to himself as uh, one not only who carries peace and brings peace, but he often referred to himself as the one who is peace. Remember Matthew 11? All you who are weary and heavy laden, come unto me and I will give you rest. In Philippians, we're told that God offers us peace that cannot even be understood or explained, it passes uh, all understanding. And he's, he's called our peace. Hebrews calls him our rest. So Jesus doesn't just bring something with him, like, you know, in a bag. He actually is this peace. He is this rest. And so we experience it spiritually first because of his death on the cross. We're no longer in conflict with God. And we'll experience it later physically when he comes again and sets up his kingdom. I discussed this in message, I think, three. And we see globally the kingdom of God expressed and there'll be peace on earth as was announced when he was born. Now, just a few more thoughts here. When you think about peace, we often think about the, the absence of hostility, the removal of war. But I think what's in play here, and as you look at how the progressive plan of God unfolds, what's really in play here is that what God removes is the actual cause of war. He removes the cause of the hostility, which is, in three letters, S-I-N. So he's removed that for us spiritually first in Jesus. And for all who believe in Jesus Christ, God removes sin from them. It's no longer held to their account. He considers them justified, innocent, and righteous, even though all you think about perhaps are all the things that you've done that disqualify you, God sees you as righteous because of Jesus. Amen, church? 
And that's a priceless treasure there. But there will be a day coming when Christ will remove the cause of hostility and war physically. In fact, Isaiah 11, can I just read for you some of the phrases used to describe this time? Remember, I, I explained to you it's unimaginable rest. It's unexplainable peace. Listen to these phrases used in Isaiah 11 to describe the coming time when we'll have physical peace globally. You'll be shocked by these phrases. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. Like, when's that ever happened, right? The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. Like, who's ever seen that? Listen to verse 7. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and the nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. The weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. I mean, you don't see little babies who are nursing playing with snakes. You just don't see that, okay? These are all metaphors and analogies to, sh- to say to us, wow, there is a time coming when there'll be unimaginable, unexplainable peace because of Christ. That's why he's the Prince of Peace. He's the heir who, will, who has assumed the throne and he offers now to all who believe spiritual peace with God by removing your sin from you and not being accountable to it because he's paid for it. But later he'll, he'll remove the cause of sin even in our physical presence. That's why he's the Prince of Peace. And can I just say to you, I think that shines brightly too, don't you? It'd be important to pause here just before I move to our application and just to make sure everyone here understands what it means to to have the peace of God spiritually, to have Christ canceling out your sin. It simply means that you have believed in Jesus Christ as the only way to be right with God. You see, everyone's trusting something to be right with God. The problem is whatever you trust that's not Jesus doesn't work because it's no real, it's just, it doesn't, um, it's not God. It's not perfect. It's not holy. Something holy has to reconcile us to a holy God. And Jesus Christ is the holy one from God who came to earth, lived and died and was buried and rose again, proving he was God and that God accepted his death as the sacrifice for our sins. And now for every boy or girl, man or woman who simply trusts Jesus for their salvation God saves them and makes them at peace with him and not at war. There's a word in the Bible used for this. It's the word believe. I love that word because several times in the New Testament we're told that to be saved, all one has to do is to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And can I just say to everyone here, anyone watching or listening, if you've never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, today is the day. I would ask you to do exactly that. You are at war with God, and you won't win this war. You cannot atone for your sin. You can't make things right on your own. Only Jesus can, and Jesus did, and he now asks for every person to believe in his name as the only way to be at peace. If you've never trusted Jesus, could I just ask you to right there in your seat, or maybe right there where you're watching from home or listening on the podcast, pray pray a prayer like this. Heavenly Father, I believe that you sent Jesus as your only son and my only savior to take my place, to die for my sin, to shed his blood so I could be forgiven. And I don't trust anything else but Jesus to make me right with you. So God, would you make me at peace with you through your son, Jesus? I believe in my heart and confess with my my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. I trust you to save me. And you know what God will do? He will save you 
from sin and unto himself. That's called peace, isn't it? That's why Jesus is the prince of peace. And now all those who are saved, who are believers, are waiting for Christ to come back in which he will bring physical peace. And can't we say we're waiting for that as well? Sure we are. And while we wait, we're going to continue to exhibit the courage and conviction of God's people, being distinctly called out people, living with the power of a mighty God, knowing he's a shepherd with timeless care. So these four names really speak to right where we are. If, if this morning you prayed that, if right there in your seat or perhaps where you're watching and listening from, if you said, man, I, I've never trusted Christ, but this morning I did. I want peace with God. Would you just text, I got saved to 94,000? I'll get that message. I would love to rejoice with you, kind of start working with you about next steps. But man, what a great day it would be. What a great way to head into 21, knowing that you're no longer at war with your creator, but you're at peace because of the work of Jesus Christ. Well, can we just kind of put all this in the crock pot, stir it together and see what kind of comes out? Here's the singular truth that comes out of the oven. We'll call it that too. Here's the singular truth that kind of comes out of the oven this morning from these four titles. We call this our first family often our, our take-home truth. You can go call sermon in a sentence. But here's what we're seeing, that Christmas shines brightly because of the identity of Jesus. Remember, we've looked at four things this month. His humanity, his deity, his authority, and now his identity. And all four of these shine brightly and show us that he's the reason Christmas is what it is. His identity especially is seen in four things. His supernatural wisdom, his heavenly power, his timeless care, and his restful rule or his anointed rest. All of these are drawn from these four titles, that he's a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, and a prince of peace. And this is why Christmas shines brightly. And this is what we gaze at and treasure, not only this Christmas and this month, but hopefully every single month and day. Now, as you meditate on that um, truth and these four titles of Christ, these four identity markers, the tendency could be, like I said earlier, to make them an abstract concept or perhaps just a theological truth only that you kind of know and believe, but you're wondering, well, how does this really intersect with my life? How does it affect me in, in real time and space? Perhaps let me share with you how they intersected with our life. 25 years ago. And I usually like to use current stories of you guys or our own lives. But this one is especially relevant because it was 25 years ago this week that our family moved from Atlanta, Georgia to Iowa. We received a call to come be the youth pastor at Grace Church. And so uh, we were praying about it. And the Lord showed such incredible, uh, wonderful counseling to us, giving us clear direction. Uh, and so we moved up here 25 years ago this week, packed up the sable wagon. Yeah, we had a station wagon. Uh, put two kids in the back, and uh, we started off. Um, and, and, and it was interesting that as we um, began this move, you know, it was around October, I think, that we got the call, and we began to pray and think, should we move to Iowa? I had never really been really past Kentucky. I grew up in Tennessee. I think I flew to Missouri once and thought I was kind of near Korea or something like that. I didn't know, but I just was, didn't really visit much, many places. Um, Julie grew up in Michigan and I think she had a little more familiar, but 
Iowa. Let's just go visit. We did. Um, and to, to do that, we had to, to move here. We had to sell our home, which doesn't seem like a big deal, but um, we weren't sure how it's going to happen. So we just said, well, we should put it on the market. From, but before I could put it on the market, some of you have heard this story. Um, I was in my office one day, and this Italian guy from the Northeast shows up, and he's wearing lots of gold chains. Chains. He's got like a really thick mustache, kind of curly hair, and he's got a black leather jacket. And he walks in. Our office was in an old house. He walks in. He says, hey. I want to buy your house. And I look up and I'm like, this guy's not from Georgia. He looks scary. And then he says, my name's Rocky. I'll give you cash. I'm like, the North, I was like, something's not right about this deal, right? <laughs> I could go to jail if I say yes to this right now, possibly, right? Anyway, long story short, I called one of our church leaders. I said, hey, I, this guy's offering this. He gave me some good wisdom. Within a matter of about a day or so, he brought cash. And we sold our home. The mighty God stepped in and said, I want you to move to Iowa. I'll make it easy for you. <laughs> I mean, we didn't put a sign in the yard. We never really told anybody. God just knew. So we had this, this wonderful counselor leading us, guiding us, a mighty God just providing for us. We moved here. I think we landed here on a Saturday. I'm not sure. Um, and we, got, we discovered when we pulled into the home we were renting in Des Moines that our truck was going to be a week late with all of our stuff. We had just enough stuff for about a day or two in the car. And so I learned from that, first of all, this truth, that home is where your stuff is, not where your heart is. Just keep that in mind, okay? <laughs> so for about a week, we're trying to figure out who can we borrow clothes from, you know, and the sizes, and we're buying this and buying that, and we're getting groceries. And Fortunately, man, the church people there were just tremendous, and they rallied around us and just brought us meals, and they found us clothes. And, and, you know, we experienced God's timeless care for us in that. It was beautiful just to watch God just say, hey, you may not have a truck of stuff, but you've got my people with you. I'll take care of you. It was beautiful. And then even in that first three to four weeks, um, remember, I was from the South, Julie from Michigan, so she had a little more acclimation to maybe what this would be like here. I had no idea. Uh, I had never shoveled a driveway in my life, so there's a thousand things about Iowa I was not ready for. Uh, the first three weeks of our time here was in 96. We moved here the last week of 95. We began work on the first Sunday of 96, and for three weeks, it never got above zero. Some of you remember that if you were here then. One of the coldest uh, streaks in history. I remember at the end of three weeks, uh, Julie and I saying to each other, did, did we do the right thing? <laughs> is, this, is this a good move, you know? But in the middle of all that, Man, God's peace was just confirming. Like, this is the right thing. And there were reasons and there were, I'm not afraid to say it, there were signs, there were indicators. Yeah, God just led us every step of the way, gave us peace, uh, care, showed us powerful ways that he uh, was moving this way, good counsel. And I tell you that story because I, I don't want these four names to be abstract, out of reach, Old Testament, long forgotten concepts. You think, well, that was for them. No, the fact that he's a wonderful counselor and a mighty God and an everlasting father and a prince of peace matters in your life in real time and space today. Let's just be frank. For anyone to become a believer, for anyone to trust Christ, God was exerting mighty power, wasn't he? No one comes to Christ unless the Spirit draws them. 
And no one can save themselves. So even in that initial act of coming to Christ, God is showing mighty power. He's also showing wonderful counsel. He's showing timeless care. In the very first thing we experience as a Christian, all four of these show up. And they continue to show up every step of the way in our walk with God. This is what I want you to see at Christmas. That the one who came is the one who not only came as a baby, he came as your savior. He's, he's here as your guide. He's with you every step of the way. One with supernatural wisdom, heavenly power, timeless care, and anointed rest. That's who came at Christmas. And I'm praying that you have a, you, you're, you're appreciating and loving and treasuring him more the more you read about his beautiful aspects all through Isaiah 9, his humanity, his deity, his authority, his identity. May we gaze longingly at Jesus until he comes again and brings the physical global peace that we're waiting on. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more messages, visit firstfamily.church forward slash sermons or subscribe to our podcast feed. Thanks for listening.